and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast of Matthew Robinson's gaming group. I am your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is still trying to justify putting tapestry on his top 10 of 2019, and that's going to take some time. This is round five, turn five, and if I sound lighter and gentler, it's because I'm joined this week by two friends who represent the softer side of our hobby, the casual gamer, Jake. Hello, Tom. And the flat-out non-gamer, Dimitri. Hello, friend. <laughs> I told Dimitri that he didn't have a low baritone voice, and so we, we might be seeing an experiment with, with the bass range here. We'll see the what we've got. lower registers. Uh, this round, we're going to be reviewing a game that is not from 2020 or from 2019. It's a, it's a game that got away from us a little bit. Uh, it's a game called Everdell. It's a 2018 release, so it's not like it's forever ago, uh, but it is one of these games that just kind of escaped our net that it we never got to. Really it. fun. Spoiler alert. Dude, <laughs> that's how much what? I liked it. I Look, had to jump pe- in. People are just going to turn the podcast off. They're done. Okay, they I got it. I know what it is. Done. Go buy it. It's great. Goodbye. Nope, that's it. <laughs> uh, we're also going to be talking about our theme of the month, which is favorite things. And this week, our favorite theme th- thing is theme, actually. We're going to be talking about our favorite and least favorite themes, why they work, why they don't work for us, and uh, what that might say about who we are. We didn't record last week, so we have some serious game nights to go over. So the first game night we have to talk about is from way back in 2019. It was actually the last day of the year, the 31st, before people had to go off to their parties and whatnot. I brought four people together, myself, Alfred, the rules lawyer, Jennifer, the game pioneer, and friend of the pod, Bond. And we played the game that I wanted to play the most in 2019. It was a late Christmas present for me. We played 1862, and ladies and gentlemen, it was everything I hoped it would be. This game is phenomenal. It is long. It is involved. It is heavy. It is a long teach. It is, it is tough to look at that board and figure out what is going on. It is, it is the best 18xx operations game that I have ever seen. By operations, I mean... There are so many tough choices in terms of what to do with your trains, with your train companies. There are mergers that you can make. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. I love it. I've been thinking about it nonstop, and I can't wait to do it again. Is this one of those ones where it's extremely complex, and you get three chances, and then the game's over? Um, you get a lot more chances than that, but you can blow it quite early. It is, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't think I'm gonna drag you into that one, Jake. I only played one train game once with you guys, and I lost instantly. And I saw that I had lost instantly, and everybody <laughs> made it clear. But we played it out, and I got a taste for it. I thought you acquitted yourself admirably. That was the first one. Uh, then that weekend, I went up to my uh, to visit my brother and his family. Brother's a, a fan of the of the pod. He's uh, put in a sommelier request or two. And uh, his kids are kind of gamers too. Like his oldest daughter is quite the gamer. She's she's just she just quickly grasps every game you throw at her. How old is she? Um, she is thirteen. That's great. Thirteen Runs in the family. Way into it. Yes, 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 yes. We played over that weekend. Pipeline, Everdell, Concordia, tons of Tichu, and a game that I have to talk about really quick. Throw throw burrito. So is it a food chain magnet spinoff? It, it sounds like it could be, but no, it's, it's actually a game by the Exploding Kittens people, 
They've been putting out some games. And this was my eight-year-old nephew's favorite game. I think it was my son's favorite game. So you get a big deck of cards. However many people are playing, sit in a circle. And everybody starts off with a pile of five or ten cards or something like that between me and you. Okay. And then there's another one pile next to that. You start off with a hand of five cards. And the way it works is you get rid of one and you pick one. You, you get rid of one onto that pile, you pick one from that pile. And you keep on doing that. Whenever you have three of the same thing, you lay them down. Sometimes there are things that are just going to be worth points. But occasionally they are throw-throw burrito cards. They are burrito war cards or they're burrito duel cards. And when you get three of those, you lay it down and you yell in a very loud voice, burrito war, bur- throw throw burrito or okay. burrito, burrito duel. And then what happens is sitting in the center of the table are these two incredibly soft burritos with like faces and googly eyes and stuff like that, okay. that you could throw about as hard as you want. And it's just going to bounce off somebody, right? It's going to be annoying, but it's not going to hurt them. Okay. In Burrito War, when you yell that out, everybody is lunging for those things because the first person to smack somebody with the burrito, that person gets the minus one point marker. In Throw Throw Burrito, the person who calls it is the bridge between the person on his left and the person on his right. They're the only two that can go for it and try and, and, try and hit each other. And then Burrito Duel is the person who calls Burrito Duel chooses which two people at the table who stand back to back with a burrito each, take three steps, turn, and fire. <laughs> and I will tell you that that my little eight-year-old nephew was just just laughed so hard. I think he may have peed himself. That's he was awesome. laughing so hard doing that. Um, my son, he was like two away from me on the left, and it just so happened in that game, he kept passing my brother throw-throw burrito cards. Mm-hmm. So he kind of knew that a throw-throw burrito event was coming up. Mm-hmm. And since I didn't see any of them, I had no idea. And so my brother would call, throw-throw burrito. And before the word burrito is even completely out of his mouth, I'm, I already have a burrito <laughs> smacking me in the face. Slapstick is funny. <laughs> and It's universal. They loved it. Yeah. That's I great. will tell you, for, for a funny kind of kids game, I mean, it could even potentially be an adult party game in a weird way because it's, it's, it's a funky little thing. That. Throwing a little sack in someone's face. Yeah, you, permission you, to do that. You I need think more. Yeah, like that. you need you need a few more people to play yeah. than, uh, than 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 your family has right now. But with yeah. cousins and stuff like that. Tom, uh, wouldn't people throw the burrito at you no matter who was in the fight? Uh, just just both you, of them would throw the burrito at you. If I'm not in the fight and you hit me with the burrito, you get the minus one. I take the minus yes, one. Yes, <laughs> I know you would, Dimitri. I know you, but you're the, but you're the non-gamer, so it doesn't matter to you. It doesn't even matter to you. Uh, this past Tuesday, we had another game night. We played Everdell, and we played Food Chain Magnate with the new ketchup expansion. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! I don't want to say too much because we will be doing a review of this in a week or two. All I will say is that Food Chain Magnate already is a very involved game. It is a hard game. It is a game that every time we come back and sit down to play it, if it has been more than a month, I kind of have to teach it over all over again, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, it's very complex, and it doesn't stick for people for some reason. 
So to add in a whole bunch of new things, this game has about 17 different modules. Now, some of those modules are adding a single card, but each card has rules and so on and so forth. So we decided to add just the main attraction, which was new milestones. If you think of it in these terms, think of it as a lot of actions in this game give you a bonus. And in a very tight game, those bonuses really, really add up. Those bonuses can mean the difference between winning and losing. So to some degree, your strategy in the game somewhat centers around which bonuses am I going to target and which bonuses am I going to go for. Mm -hmm. So if you just gave a new player card that had all different bonuses now, the game would suddenly instantly Mm -hmm. play radically different solely because those bonuses were different without having to change a single component in the game. So do you think that this game's uh, it was a needed update or are you happy about it or was it like overkill? Well, here, it, the interesting thing is, is that it is one of these things where people would talk about this when they were hearing the description of it and say, oh, it sounds like a fix. Mm-hmm. And I kind of reject that. I will say this. I think that Splatter, who makes the game, I think they think of it a little bit like a fix. Tweak. When Food Chain Magnate first come, came out, People very quickly, you know, devoured it, descended upon it, and came up to the conclusion that there are really two main strategies to start. Like the first Mm -hmm. employee you hire dictates a lot of your early game. So they said that going with a recruiting girl who gets to hire more people, and so you quickly staff up to a large Mm -hmm. staff, said that's one of the good strategies. And then they said the trainer who takes people and trains them into higher and higher positions. That's the other good strategy. And Yaron, one of the two men who run Splatter, was very vocal on the board saying, oh, you're overlooking a marketing as a strategy, starting with a marketer mm-hmm. and you know putting a billboard up very early in the game and starting the demand for the goods and services that happen in the game. And my understanding is, or my belief is, is that that meant that he thought that in their playtesting that that was a completely valid strategy. Well... You can have the best playtesting groups in the world, and it doesn't equal, you know, the, the hundred monkeys typing for a hundred right. years in the room, which is what the larger board game hobby is. Like sure. the, all these people in all these places playing the game simultaneously, they will come to sometimes a different conclusion, and their conclusion was that that is a losing strategy. That is uh, not not necessarily losing, but suboptimal. And if all players are playing at the same level, that person will probably lose. Now with the new milestones, I will tell you for a fact that there are three, at least three excellent strategies. The recruiting girl has been changed and is better. The trainer is changed and it is better. And the marketer is now really formidable, a formidable opening to start with that. If you think about it in those terms, taking a game that has two starting paths that then start to divert and it turns into three valid starting paths that divert, that is a massive amount Mm -hmm. of of extra space and extra calculation that is suddenly immediately available to you. The bonus elements that are in the game, a lot of them are fantastic as well. I've, I've, I've read them and it's one of those games where you laugh as you're reading a rule book. How often do you laugh reading a game rule book? And these guys aren't... These guys are quirky and funny, right? Bus Dimitri has oh, sure. the has a really weird thing in it, right? The time travel element. Yes, because yes. buses travel through time. Evidently, mm-hmm. in this game, they mm-hmm. do. So they they have a goofy nature about them that they they make these very serious, very deep games, and then but they're not afraid to 
if it makes the game better, throw in something that doesn't make any sense, and then they mm-hmm. explain it through some goofy terms. This game will have all sorts of things like that. There's Because they wanted to sell this game worldwide, when they wanted to sell Food Chain Magnate to South Korea, which has a very rich board gaming uh, culture, they introduced kimchi okay. as something that you could sell. Smart. Right? Sure. So guess what? Our game now has kimchi as one of the modules that you could put in there. Uh, for the Japanese, they had sushi. Mm-hmm. And sushi is a, mo- a module, and you get these little sushi things, little pieces. Um, for the Chinese market, it was noodles, and mm-hmm. all of these you could play with. At home. You could play with as many of them or as little sure. of them as you want, but they all have very interesting and very different rules as far as the game. When we get to the full review, we'll get into that more. All I'll say is, is that all we played with was just the grades and I think one or two of the new cards, and we had a blast. Everybody felt that that. Uh, a game that was already great was even better. What makes it very complex is, as you said, your first move can determine the strategy that you have to follow. It kind of locks you into a particular strategy. But moves that your fellow players make on the board for area control and pricing also mean that you have to tactically counter their taking away your business. Yep. It's very hard to combine those two because how to tactically counter other players' moves within your fairly rigid strategy uh, requires an almost encyclopedic knowledge of all the cards and all the various occupations. Huh. Maybe. From the non-gamer. From the non-gamer. By the way. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't say that the strategy is that locked in. I think that the decision tree branches pretty quickly. Um, I will say also that the encyclopedic knowledge of the cards is much easier when it's not a shuffled deck of cards, when the cards are literally on display in front of you and you can look at all of them. And you even have a a, uh, player aid that tells you what what everything does. The player aid is fairly sparse. And while you can see what each card will do, it's hard to connect how that card can help you tactically counteract somebody's attack. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with, with, with any of that. I think that's absolutely true. What is the difficulty rating of this game? I don't know. I've got to look it up, but I'm sure it's 4.4, 4.3, somewhere, in, somewhere okay. in that range. Definitely on the heavy side. And then uh, Friday, uh, this was my birthday week, so I had a... Uh, Happy birthday. Yay. Thank you so much. I had a, a birthday sort of gaming event, and we had uh, 12, 12, 12 people. people. Yeah, 12 people here. We started off with one of my favorite games to play with a large crowd, Ricochet Robots. And then we moved on to three tables. We played We Jaws. let you win that game because it was your birthday. <laughs> you guys were so kind to let me win. It was really, really kind of you. I love that game so much. It's such... I feel my brain speeding up as I start playing that game. I feel my synapses just firing, and it feels like... I know what you it, mean. It feels like the movie Limitless, right? Like, uh, like, yeah, like all right. of a sudden things start just like, oh my God, I'm seeing all these combinations. But, uh, so fantastic. Uh, we also played uh, Jaws, Everdell, and a second play of Food Chain Magnate, the Ketchup Expansion. Gentlemen, let's get into the news, shall we? We got a song for it. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nob of South America. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to press. Game news. First up in game news, not really game news so much, but uh, Efka from No Pun Included tweeted out over the over the holidays that uh, you know just gave us a little shout out. Said one of his uh, favorite podcasts to listen to right now is Game Brain. Efka, if you're listening, 
we love you guys so much. Thank you so much. Yeah, we really appreciate that. That's and cool. we just want you to know that that as far as video content and reviews, you're absolutely a favorite of ours. We love the the videos that you put out. We love the energy, the creativity. And frankly, we like your taste very much. You uh, Two years ago, your game of the year was Sidereal Confluence. Uh, last year, your uh, last year, I'm saying 2018. Your game of the year was now boarding. We love both of those games, and those were bold picks because nobody was picking those games. Nobody selected either of those games as game of the year. I played now boarding with the planes going back and forth. Right? What do yeah, you think? I love that game. I love that game. Wasn't it fantastic? It was a really good game. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, we've brought that out, I think, three times in the last month. That is a game that we're yeah, I would play that. playing more and more and more. It is a really, really interesting game. That's fun. So I, I love it when a reviewer, you know, I didn't do that. My pick of the game of the year was Barrage. I am not the I am not the lone voice in the wilderness telling everybody to play Barrage, okay? Lots of people are saying Barrage is the is the best game of the year. So to use your bully pulpit, to use your audience, and to highlight as game of the year a game that nobody is talking about, I would like to adopt that actually. I want to do I want to figure out a way to start doing that more and to have uh, that be something that we do because I think that is really really good for the hobby. We do we love hidden gems here. At Game Brain, and, and both like, those games have really strong co-op components within a competitive play structure. Now, yes, boarding is a co-op game, but it's still very fun and fast-paced. Uh, and Citadel Conference, you can't win it without relying on other people, uh, which is a very interesting taste-wise. Uh, I can see how both those games come from the same uh, mental space, from the same preference. If anybody is listening to our podcast and does not know what No Pun Included is, I have no idea who you are. I don't know how you know about us, but you don't know about them. But go to YouTube and check out No Pun Included's videos. They are phenomenal. You'll really enjoy them. Uh, next up, a little bit of, a little bit of sad news. There is uh, trouble of brewing at Fantasy Flight. It's Fantasy Flight Interactive, Fantasy Flight RPG Department. There were a massive number of layoffs. I don't know why these layoffs always have to happen on the holiday season, but uh, they they did. They they got hit really really hard. A lot of people were cut. It appears that the board game side of the business seems to be relatively intact. We we like the fact that we have a growing hobby. We like very much the fact that more and better games appear to be coming out each and every year. And we hope that all of the employees of FFG find uh, fulfilling work, uh, hopefully at a, another gaming company, or if not that, in another field. Tom, do you think uh, role-playing games are in the ascendant right now? Do you think people who play board games are more willing it, to play RPGs and vice versa, or is there a divergence? I don't know. I mean, Jake, you play role-playing games, right? I, I have, and I would if there was an opportunity. At sure. the moment, I'm not playing them. Sure. But- yeah. I would say this. I would say that um, my friends who are RPG designers seem to be doing okay. The, it, Kickstarter for right now is a great is a real boon to the indie RPG community. Mm-hmm. It used to be that the indie RPG community would make ash cans, which means just like crudely stapled together little little books mm-hmm. of the prototype of their game. They would go to gaming conventions. They would run games for for people and hope to get people interested enough to justify trying to do an actual print run and doing that. And now Kickstarter 
has opened that world up. And I believe that for right now anyway, there are a lot of indie games that are doing very, very well. And they're doing well because Kickstarter is a, is a model that's allowing that. And I think because of that, a lot of people are playing a lot of different games. I think things like uh, Stranger Things has has sort of reignited yeah. in people's Made people's cool. minds. Hey, we should we should do that more. Yeah. I think it was already getting cool. I think the people were playing it more and more. I think the younger generation was was finding it and saying, you know what, this is this is pretty good. YouTube channels of uh, people like Matt Coville, you know, he has so many people listening to him just talking about uh, D&D and there's a massive audience. So I, I do think that's also on the ascendant. FFG had a lot of um, licensed products and that could be a, that maybe that was the problem. Maybe the ones that are popping and hitting right now are you know, more author driven, more independent uh, uh, projects. I can't really speak to that. I don't, I don't know for sure, but it definitely could be. In other news, let's talk about some games that are going to be coming down the pike. There's a game called After Nova by Jeff Chin and Andrew Nurger that is going to be coming out in March of 2020. It might be Nurger. I'm sorry. We don't know a ton about it, except that it says that a nearby solar system has been obliterated by a supernova. And we have to move in and extract resources from unstable planets. Um, space mining. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or, or space recycling, actually, yeah. I think is kind of what it is to some okay. degree. Which sounds uh, kind of interesting. Are those planets occupied? Uh, are those resources something it doesn't the say, spaceships are raiding? It says these jobs are too dangerous to do alone. So we send in teams of hired pawns. We create uneasy truces with rivals. Essentially, what it sounds like is, I believe it is a negotiation game. Negotiation games, we don't have any of. Sidereal Confluence, we just mentioned. Great example. Is a great negotiation game. I'm always on the lookout. Go uh, Genoa is a fantastic uh, negotiation game. Chinatown, we, that's about it. I mean, I can name maybe one or two more. I would love a really good, meaty negotiation game. And I very much hope that After Nova might just be it. Next up, uh, Traintopia is from oh, Presmek uh, Vokolovjak. Uh, oh, I'm totally massacred that. Polish designer. Um, it is a futuristic train game. Uh, you're going to build a network of routes. You're going to trade goods. But you're also going to be dealing with commuters and, and tourists. It is a tile-laying game. So it, it, it sounds like a train game that might just be a little bit different than than a lot of the others. And uh, look, I'm always up for a train game that does something different, right? You might as well check might as well check those out. Is that seriously you you said a minute ago that you only played one train game. Is that really true? Uh I no no, that was the I can think of two train games I played. One that was sort of more old-fashioned looking trains and then one that was a little bit more modern. I think that's it. I think I showed you 1846. I think we did. That must a be the older fashion yes. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. And then I feel like I like the idea of it. I mean, I could see that if you knew what you were doing, yet again, you could attempt to win. Well, while we're talking about train games, let's talk about Ride the Rails. Ride the Rails is going to be getting a beautiful new production. Its original production was it was called uh, Rail USA, I believe, and it was put out by um, Winsome Games which basically means that you're getting a little plastic bag that has some components in it, and that's Mm -hmm. the game you're getting. 
Well, Capstone Games puts these out in beautiful fashion. They did it last year with uh, Irish Gage. This is another winsome game that they are deluxifying and making look cool. beautiful. And they're putting out. It's called Ride the Rails. Uh, if you look at the cover, it will say that it's by Harry Wu. Uh, but Harry Wu does not actually exist. So when you go to BGG, it says the designer is John Borer because Harry Wu is a name that John Borer has used in the past. He's used multiple pseudonyms uh, to create games. Why? We're not really sure. And we can't ask him because he's been banned from BGG. He can't... Uh, can't comment there. There, there were some. There were some. There's some issues with Mr. Bohr. We've talked about Mr. Bohr before because he is the guy that now claims that he is the one who designed Age of Steam as opposed to oh, Martin as, Wallace. As I remember when you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he has to adopt a nom de spiel. He, he did adopt a nom de spiel. I will say that the artist is Ian O'Toole, who can do no wrong. Our Ian O'Toole is absolutely crushing it. And I, I have a feeling that if you like these light train games, if you liked Irish Gage, you probably will like very is that, much. Is that uh, commonly happening right now when they're re-putting out nicer versions of old games that were kind of not such great quality to begin with? Yeah, I think, uh, I think several companies... Are sort of specializing in that, Didn't, I think. Uh, is Dune one of the very much recent, so? Right, people exactly. hold that you own the game will buy a second copy for the nicer components, and people who have never played the game will buy it again. Yeah. So it's kind of like rebooting a movie. And I would like to say right now that I'm the designer. I'm the original <laughs> designer of Age of you Steam. You heard it here first. Fantastic, Dimitri. I think that works really well with what we might be talking about a little bit more about how the actual thing matters, like the aesthetic. For me personally, yes, as a game brainer, like it matters. Those it matters a lot. The fact that so they, juicy. if it looks nicer on the table, I'm immediately more interested in playing, and that's just I, it's who I am. Yeah, and we we span a spectrum. Like yeah. I, I've, I discovered when I was thinking about this topic that we we're going to be talking about that it matters very little to me. Well, there you like, go. Like shockingly little to yeah. me when I figured when I figured that out. We'll yeah. talk about we'll talk about okay, it more okay, later. Okay. But um, I think it's it's quite important to Maddie. I think so too. I think it's very important well, to Maddie. I don't know. I can just as easily hear him saying like, I don't care what it looks like as long as it's good content or like. It, it, that is true. Listen, if it is gorgeous, but it doesn't, but it's not a good game. Yeah, he's got no interest. Right. But the difference between two games that are are both smart are, are but, both pretty darn yeah. good, but one is gorgeous. That that means a lot more to him than it does to well, to me, I believe. And yeah, uh, different people. Um, I think it may all. There's something to uh, back in the day. My gaming history goes back pretty far. And so maybe because I grew up being used to games looking a certain way, and that way is pretty yeah, bad. Paper and pencil. <laughs> really bad looking games. I mean, just, yeah. just you know, here's a, here's a wooden cube. You may have to sand it down yourself, mm-hmm. right? Throw a little, sure. throw a little lacquer, lacquer on it. And uh, yeah, here's a paper map. Uh, hopefully it's not ripped when you get it, right? Mm-hmm. There, there were a lot of games that were like that. And some of those were some of my favorite games of all time. So, you know, that, that creates a little situation there. Still on Rail Games, this is Rail Game Month, there is a Kickstarter that has uh, just come out. It's got 16 days to go as of this recording called Pacific Rails Incorporated. Engine building, resource management, worker placement, network route building game for two to four players. Sounds like just about every other uh, Rail game that's out there. Um, It's just about kicked. It's about uh, $150 away from being kicked, so I think it will. 
Though when I look into it, I got some questions. This is a game designer that has never designed another game before. So it's his, oh, it's, first. It's his first. All right, popping the cherry. Order to nom de spiel. We're oh, gonna, yeah, right. <laughs> no, he's a real person. We know this. Uh, now, that said, the game we're going to review today, Everdell, that designer had never designed another game. Wow, good so job. So we could have, we could very That's much have, have been equally suspicious uh, when, when Everdell came out. I will also say that the company that is publishing this game has never published a medium or heavy Euro before. They've never published a rail game before. So I guess my only advice is I'm looking at it. I'm There's almost nothing on the geek about it. There's a, a one little almost promo video. And when I look at the pieces of it, they just there's something about it that just looks to me like, huh, why did you do that? I, I don't know if it's a bad thing or a good thing. I just know that as far as Kickstarter goes, I don't have an unlimited budget. I got to really pick and choose what sure. I'm going to back. And, and for me, they're just a few too, thing, a few too many things that are question marks. Do you not think it bad, might be but question marks. kids? I don't think so, no. It's, it's certainly not listed in any way, shape, or form as being, as being for kids. But you're, you're right that, that some of the pieces look more like kiddies. But, uh, if this is a kids started uh, starter style uh, train game uh, that doesn't really exist does it yeah took it to ride oh okay took it to ride i think is uh, a, a totally baby's first train game but it's not geared towards children or is it alan moon certainly designed it to be for everybody oh okay he designed it to be able to families. play by everybody families exactly okay. exactly Prospero Hall, that's the team that brought us Jaws, which, by the way, last night people had a great time playing. They were loving it. We heard them, we heard them cackling with laughter um, all throughout the room. When Quint was killed. When Quint was killed. A shout of joy erupted from the table. <laughs> um, they have been on a bit of a tear through the 1980s, through properties from the 1980s. They've just released their Top Gun game that we mentioned. Haven't been able to play it yet, but... They've just announced that they are going to be doing The Shining as a game. Three to five players, plays in about 60 minutes, and uh, you shouldn't play it under the age of 17. Not sure why they say that. That might be just, just be for, uh, for effect. But uh, looking at the cover art for it and knowing what these guys do... They're very exciting. They're very they're a very exciting group of people. I wish they would they would literally name their designers. I I, mm. I do feel still feel very very strongly that artists creatives need to be recognized by name. I think that's an important thing in this business. But I can't argue with the that there's a fun spirit about the, about these designers. The games that they're putting out are so far fairly solid technically but also have a sense of adventure and fun and anarchy. There, there's something very subversive about the, the, the way they're putting th these things together, and I think they're doing a bang-up job. Marvel United. Simon uh, Games, the, they make mostly miniature-type games, as the vast majority of the, except they did Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Which is, uh, which is an odd thing because almost every other game they have is a miniature-based game. They're making a Marvel miniatures game. Now, these are chibi-style miniatures. Do you know what that means? With the big heads? Yes, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly. That's the kind of game they're going to look at. We've, I've seen a few sculpts, and it looks pretty good. Eric Lang is one of the, uh, one of the designers or on the design team, which 
doesn't necessarily mean everything because Eric Lang is sort of their in-house designer now and uh, his name is basically on everything that they're putting out. So the question is as well, is this a 80% Eric Lang design or sure. a 20% Eric Lang design? Where, where does he, f- he fall into the, to the mix here? Look, Marvel Champions, I thought, was an amazing card game. It's in my top 10 of the year from from last year. So uh, it's obvious that this IP can be done a lot of different ways. I hope that Chibi Solo miniature game uh, works out. I hope people love it. Uh, I myself, I have a miniature allergy, so I can't really be playing a lot of those myself. But uh, I don't mind miniatures per se, but I'm not a giant. I mean, I I guess I could see the appeal of those bubble-headed things, but I prefer the original... Old school. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Let's talk about games on the brain. Games. Games on the brain. These are games we like to play. These are games stuck on our brains. Oh, baby. Games on the brain. Jake, what are you thinking about? What's on your mind these days? Um, I got an app on my phone called Johnny Trigger. Johnny Trigger? It is... You need maybe half a brain cell to play it. It's, you just tap. You just tap the screen. And it might as well just be like going from red to green, and you tap it, and you're like, oh, it's green now. Oh, it's red now. Oh, it's green. <laughs> but there's something about it, and I, uh, so like, yeah, that. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I needn't say more. What's, but it's Are you so shooting silly. people? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a... It's are just you just a, tapping on the people to shoot? Kind of. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Okay. It's All amazing. right. Dimitri, what's on your brain right now? I'm thinking of two games. Uh, one is the Age of Steam Moon expansion. Uh, it's the moon map. Yes. Um, and uh, it's the same rules as Age of Steam, but with slight uh, uh, interesting tweaks. Uh, like when the sun goes down, one side of the moon will only accept a certain type of good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted Alsbach, I believe, designed that map. Yes. Uh, and uh, there's several fans of his, um, of, of games that he's designed this is just a map that he designed but i think it's terrific um and it's the only time i won age of steam really and um i was wondering why that is uh, (laughs) because we're thinking of our favorite themes yeah uh and science fiction is my favorite theme i wonder if the reason i won is because just pure aesthetic. Pure you, as, not just pure aesthetic. Do you get charged by theme? Does this theme yeah. engage I, I you? I do get Focus very charged by theme. And also I think my brain gets primed by theme. Where yeah. in a science fiction context, I start thinking about logic. I start thinking about rules. I, I start thinking about how the universe and the world of that particular uh, world works. Uh, and that kind of alerts me and gets me ready to pay attention in in a way that I wouldn't otherwise. So are you saying that the only reason you don't win all the time is is that you check out and don't pay attention? I think that <laughs> I I check out and don't pay attention much more often than I want to admit. <laughs> uh, and the second game I'm thinking of is City of the Big Shoulders. Okay. And this is a game I actually reviewed with Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was shocked to see it on his top 10. And I was shocked to see it, I think, on his number three or number four. He had it way up there. He was in. He was shocked when I had it as my number 10, I believe. I think it was my number 10 yeah. of the year. So What's I, interesting I, to me is I actually went back and listened to the review mm-hmm. uh, in the episode, and 
at least my listen uh, accorded with my recollection that he didn't seem that enthusiastic about it when he was talking about it. Uh, and it's interesting to me that's an, an example of, I believe, uh, somebody changing his mind with repeated play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could be. Um, I think the thing with City of Big Shoulders is it is a stock game that doesn't have the trains. So the things that you're doing to increase, decrease, change your stock value are are, are, are different than what it would be in a game that has these various elements. And I think there's still a question as to the longevity of that game to some degree. But so far, we're only five, six, seven plays into it. Uh, it's got a lot of depth. And I think the expansion companies which play very differently. The starting companies are relatively similar. They're, this one's a little more this, this one's a little more that. The later companies that, that, that they came out with in the expansion pack really add to the decision space because they're radically different. They, they, some of them operate in ways in which you realize, oh my goodness, this whole aspect of the game is ignored by this company. It just does this one thing, which is really pretty cool. I like it a lot. For me... 1862 is still completely early on my mind. There's not a day that has passed since the new year began where I have not thought about that game, thought about the decisions that I made, the decisions that I didn't make, the ways to play it. There was some cooperative play that we did in that game that uh, some of the other people at the table were objecting to. They're like, whoa, you can't do that. I said, why not? You absolutely can. This is, I think, this is this is part of it, and I think some of that was people who have this. You know, the, the dominant mode of playing eighteen XX is tremendously cutthroat. It's it's if you give me your back, I will stab it, right, and and all that sort of stuff. But this game, because the map is so tight and so small, and everybody is fighting over every scrap of track. There are opportunities for two different companies to work together. There are there are opportunities. Um, and now I'm not sure I did that quite right in that game, and maybe that's what they were objecting to. Maybe they thought, oh, he's throwing the game to somebody else because I didn't uh, do the best, but I didn't see all the calculations in it. The other game that's on my mind is Food Chain Magnet. That, that is completely and utterly on my brain, and I cannot wait. The second time we played it, I didn't even mention, we played it with more than just the, the milestones. We started bringing out, we started playing with coffee. We started playing with uh, kimchi. We brought in, in these elements in the game. Didn't really explore those elements as much as I would like to in the future, but I saw we saw exactly how they work, and we were already starting to theorize, oh, this is what you do with that. That is a way, uh, very interesting ways to make money outside of the main mechanism of the game, which is very interesting. And with sushi, does it take you 10 years to train the sushi chef? No, but what they do do is when you got a, a burger, you have a kitchen trainee and they make one burger or one pizza, right? Then you upgrade them to a burger cook and they make three burgers. And then you make them a burger chef and they make eight, right? With sushi, a, uh, a kitchen trainee makes nothing. A sushi cook makes two sushi only. And a sushi chef makes five sushi only. So it's it's significantly less. The production elements are less. Noodles goes the other way. The noodle chef makes 16 noodles, just flooding, flooding the market with but noodles. But nobody wants noodles. 
That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I like so noodles. We'll talk about that. I love noodles. I don't know why they're picking on noodles, but um, we'll, we'll get it. When we get to that review, we will talk about that. On the 8x8 challenge, however, splatter twice, two food chain magnates in the bag. That's huge. All right. Two more. Knock it out. 8x8 challenge. We are knocking them down. Ladies and gentlemen, we are up to the review now. It is time to talk about Everdell. Everdell was a 2018 design. It was a, the designer was James A. Wilson, who, as I mentioned, had not had a uh, credit that I could find before that. The artists were Andrew Bosley and Dan May. It plays in 60 to 90 minutes. Um, The game we had last night went quite long. It was, uh, that played about two, two and a half hours. Three hours. That's crazy. I don't know how it happened, but okay. Yeah, we went till 12.30 from 9.30, and you taught us the game very well. Okay, well. I agree. Something happened, and it's got a weight of 2.78, so slightly lighter than the middle of the scale. Jake, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's the, what's the setting, what's the theme, what's Everdell about? The theme is it's a magical enchanted forest, mm-hmm. and all of the woodland critters are sort of fantasy versions, so it'll be like a little chipmunk, but with a cape with a hood, and like, uh, you know, a skunk with a sword, or it, it, it's a really nice fantasy blend, and um, the, the basic idea is you've got places, and you've got these critters, and they all match up, and you're trying to make these matches of the homes and the animals that go in them, ultimately to make the most points, right? To huge, build your yeah. world in this little fantasy realm. A huge deck of cards. Yeah, those huge cards deck of are cards. those cards have only two types. There are cards that are critters yeah. and cards that are constructions. Basically, right, constructions. That's what people, animals, yeah. or buildings is what is what you have. And at the end of the game you can have potentially up to 15 cards in your own personal city that you have yeah. built. Out well, of everyone did in our game that, that we played. Everyone maxed out their cards. In Dimitri, in your game, only two people maxed out and two huh. people very much didn't, right? That's right. I was like super bummed when I maxed out because I still had moves to make and I, I hadn't <laughs> built the engine to get rid of cards. Uh, Jake, what was the top score in your um, I think it was 60-something I think okay. it was in the 60s and 70s. I think that feels and right. And I was like 20 points behind because I missed some big thing that I should have been building towards that I totally ignored. Oh, the wonders? It, yeah, yeah. There Those was like wonders. bonuses that you could do that I literally just, I didn't I didn't see it or I was too intent on my own little pattern so of matching. with regard to wonders, you were the Stevie wonder? I was, sure. So the, the scores in his game, I think, were ranged from 40 to around almost 70. Yeah, okay. that's that's, I think that's right. And in your game? In our game, three of us scored in the 50s, and Mike, friend of the podcast, scored 88. Mike crushed it! He did. He's an excellent player. This game is crazy easy to teach. It really is. I can teach it to you right now. Everyone want to learn how to play Everdell? Here it is. You're going to have a hand of cards, and on your turn, you can do only one of three things. You can take one of your little workers, and you can put them out in a space on the board, Mm -hmm. or... You can play a card into your city, mm-hmm. or you can change seasons. We start in the winter, right. you move to the spring, you can move right, to right. the summer, you can move to the autumn, and each time you move, you're going to get extra workers, you're going to free up the workers that you've already used. Most worker spaces are going to be to get resources. Mm-hmm. And in order to play these cards, you're going to need resources. That's the it. critters all need berries. Yep. Got to have the berries. You, you, it's like crack to them. And the they, cooler they, they are, the more it costs to put them down. 
Yeah, I mean, you want you want that that the king. Yeah, the king's going to take at least yeah. five berries. All right, you're not just going to yeah. get away with nothing. Okay, but you know the little little farmer. You can probably get the unless farmer you for, have the house, and then you can plunk them down for free. If you oh, that's exactly right. If you build the right construction, each construction has a critter mm-hmm. that is uniquely tied to that construction. Yeah. And if you've already built the construction, that critter will come there for free if you can find that yeah. card. Some cards are in the meadow. There are eight cards that are laid out in the meadow. And let's just say the production values of this oh, it's game. Beautiful. It's... We played the collector's edition. And I should say that this uh, was given to us. This is a review copy that was given to us uh, uh, for free. Uh, Dan gave it to us at Thank BGG you, Con. He was he, he was fantastic. Thank he you gave so us much. The collector's edition of Everdell, and we also played with the Pearl Brook expansion, which is the first major expansion that came out for the game. Uh, we'll, we'll get into what that entails as well, but this is a stunning game. You are building an, the Ever Tree, and it's this. 3D tree that oh, looms, yeah. o- looms over the game, right? Yeah, it's not just this board in front, but it does have like almost like a miniature of this big, giant, magical tree. The, uh, some some cards can be accessed by other people, and so there are these cute little handwritten sign sort of things yeah. that say "open" or "closed" that yeah. you put on these cards. Yeah, uh, there are also monuments, the wonders that you mentioned uh, that you achieve, and uh, they actually remind me of tapestry. No, I was going to say, of all of it, that was the least thematic for me. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. with you're getting your critter, you have to feed them, or you're building a house, and it takes these different things to build it. For those, it was just like a random, you had to save up a certain amount of stuff, and then you trade it in. And it, like yeah. it, was, it wasn't like a fantasy sword or like the wand for your thing. It was just like, oh, here's a thing that you can just trade for points. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can understand that. That makes sense to me. The way these cards interact with each other, since that's all the rules are, yeah. right? You go out there and you get berries so that you can get critters, yeah. or you go out there and you get—they're basically stone, wood, resin, yeah. and pearls. Exactly is 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 another one. Uh, pebbles, but, but pebbles, of course, yeah. But of course, no, that's stone, right? But of course, they these are tiny little creatures yeah. in the forest, so it's not wood. Yeah, it's twigs yeah and, and it's not stone and, it's pebbles yeah. right it's like everything is and they're described. beautifully made they're even the berries are like almost little squishy little it, it's very nice they're rubbery and squishy yeah. and it's high it's very again nice. like with the eggs and wingspan it's tough not to pop them in your mouth well <laughs> none of us did that at our game but they are very nice the game plays so beautifully because some of these cards just combine and go together in such wonderful ways if you get a farm and you build a farm it allows you to build the husband for free yeah and the husband's card says well the husband can do this but if the husband has a wife and it's just this little mouse just this little little male mouse just looking for looking for the right the the right good right girl and then you get the wife and you put them together in the in the farm and and they do better things and they're very heteronormative it is (laughs) is, that's true that's true Uh, that's a fact there were uh, if you open the post office, the postal pigeon will yeah. will come to you for for free and will stay like with you. I like the way some of the cards had like ongoing bonuses or yes. or something that you could do that you couldn't otherwise do to get a different kind of resource or to produce a different kind of thing. That that was part of the fun for me. Of you're not just matching it up, but you're trying to like mega match it up to get stuff every round. There Cards was a certain like engine building property to it. For me, the synergies in the cards reminded me of Crystal Palace. There are a lot of cards. 
some of the cards are unique, some of the cards are not unique. You're mm. going to see about half the cards uh, in the play of the game. Uh, and depending on how rapidly you circle through yours, you may see about a quarter of the cards that are available. Uh, and the synergies are very specific. As you said, a farm is synergistic with a husband. And the wife is synergistic with the husband. Mm -hmm. uh, a pigeon is synergistic with uh, the post office. A university is synergistic mm -hmm. with Professor. demolishing. Uh, no, <laughs> not really. <laughs> but these links are, don't pay off as much. Uh, and it's a lot. There are a lot of links. Are you, you saying in your game you didn't get through all the cards? We got through half of the cards in the game. I think we got through way more than half. You got through game. all of the cards. We had yeah. to reshuffle. So you may have had a very unusual game, Dimitri. I'm not sure. I've played the game seven times now. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have gone through all the cards or almost all the cards virtually every time. So whatever the strategy ended up being in, in your game, I, it feels a little anomalous. It feels a little bit different than the other games. Did, in your guys' plays, did you have many and mostly matched houses and critters? Because like mine, I could see I had done pretty good, but I definitely had some mismatches with cards that kind of didn't bonus out because I didn't achieve that. Oh, yeah. So let me talk about events real quick oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, there yeah. are these special events that you can claim that give you nice victory points. And in order to claim them, you have to have a combination of two different cards. Mm -hmm. You have to have the inn mm -hmm. and you have to have the innkeeper. Or yeah. It's never the innkeeper, actually. It'd be the inn and the game warden or whatever. You'd have to have two quite different cards if you happen to have get those two cards over the course sure. of the, the game. Warehouse put them in your the city. That, that happened to me on mine. I, I right. had one by that way and then I got one as a power of the queen. Within the first couple actions yeah i had matches for three out of four of right. the events all i needed was the other event ours didn't happen to never end. came up oh interesting that's funny <laughs> or, or actually one of them did come up yeah. and as it came up somebody else took it that's somebody funny. else also and had it that's okay yeah oh yeah, uh, yeah but uh you said there were three rules mm -hmm. but there are rules on the cards Yes, that's correct. Uh, and all the cards modify the rules, give you new opportunities to gain resources, give you new opportunities to build. So there's a network of rules implied in the cards that you have to pay a great deal of attention to. Uh, at a certain point, they will become even more important than your worker placement. Honestly, I can only think of one example of what you're saying because most of the stuff on the cards that I remember is just stuff you could otherwise have done, but now you could do it again on your board. The only one that I remember in our game was that I think Alfred had a card that could copy other people's stuff. And that yes. was totally, that was the only like powerful thing that came up in our turn. But there are still things like you realize, oh, you know what, during, when I changed season, this card said that I could do this. I should have done this. I forgot to do this. Oh, yeah, that uh, happened a lot. There's a, there's a few that of those things. That actually did happen a lot. That's on true. Turns would go by and somebody would be like, oh, I could have gotten so much more. Um, around play four, I caught on to the fact that that kept happening. And so I said to everybody, okay, every card that you have yeah. that does something when the seasons change, put them in the bottom row of your city. Yeah, and just go. And just like, go right go across. across. Every yeah. time you do that, you just go across. That's and good. boom, we, we totally solved that problem. No one ever had, mm -hmm. any, had an issue with that again. The Pearlbrook expansion we should get into real quick, which is uh, adds a sideboard, which has the underwater world of Pearlbrook. Right. And everybody gets an extra piece. And that piece is your frog ambassador. Mm-hmm. 
as uh, as amphibians, they can both talk to us and they can talk to the people down in the water world. And it adds a new element, a new resource, which is pearls. Yeah, pearls are hard to get. They are hard to get. Yeah. You have to spend a I lot to I get them in the normal way. I think you got one or two. I remember. Oh, but you're right. Not, I did. I did. Yeah. I ended up with one because I had nothing else I could do. Yep. Tom, are the wonders part of the expansion as well? Yes, they are. Because they all require pearls. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. In the base game, instead of those wonders, you have base events, which are just uh, which are just cards that come down on the board to add more events into the the mix. I like the Pearlbrook expansion because it adds a a little more variety. You have two different kinds of workers. You start off with two of your regular workers. And by the way, the workers now, uh, we have like eight different kinds of workers and the game only plays four people. So you're choosing, oh, I want to be the woodchuck or I want to be the little rat. I think I was the turtle. Yes, you were the Which turtle. I liked. They're, they're they're really cute. It makes the, sense. the pieces are all the art is beautiful. All of the art on every single card is beautiful. It feels like it's all within the same world, within the same universe. Nothing oh, yeah. stuck out. It doesn't feel like a freshman production at it, all. It's so beautiful. It is such a well-produced game. All the little all the little pieces of it. Adding in the Pearl Brook, all of a sudden you have one worker that can only go to these spaces, yeah. and the other workers can only go to these spaces. Per, per season. And there are big scoring. The Wonders score uh, 10, 15, 20, and 25 points. There yeah. are four of them. That's a lot of points. It's if, how much if, they beat me by. If 50 is the, yeah, if fifty was an average score in the game, yeah, getting that 25-point uh, uh, um, Wonder is half of the points of an average score. That said, when you look at the resource cost... When you look at the cost of that and you figure how many points could I have gotten if I used this on cards, on other things, I think that really, I think wonders are only slightly more efficient than using using those resources another way. I think they're more efficient for sure, but not a ton. went after pearls constantly. I only did it at the end because I literally ran out of stuff to do and they beat me by the, the wonder. Yep. Well, and plus more. But like the major difference was the wonder. So I think there's something to be said for that. Like to ignore that might be a mistake. I would say Pearlbrook is not a necessary expansion. I think the game is is fantastic as it is. I like it very much. There are a couple of other expansions that have either come out or are just about to come out right now. Oh, for this? Yes. Oh, I want to play those. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. I'm going to see if we can can get our hands on some and review those as well. Let's let's just get right to it. What did what did you think of the game? I'm going to start with Dimitri because I I feel like I I feel like Dimitri has more equivocation in, as far as this game goes. Um, like with a lot of things, it's not so much about the game as about the players and the gaming group. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to make four points, and maybe we can. Go in order. Go for I it. don't or... have to speak all sure. the time. Your playtime will vary. Uh, Which is like tapestry. Yes. When you have built up your city, your cards are going to start talking to each other, uh, and you're going to start chaining actions. So your turn may take three to four minutes by the time you collect all the resources, put everything together, swap out all the cards, place your worker, get the pearl, get the wonder. And then if you're a genius player like Mike, and Mike is a wonderful player, he's a genius player, you may have a second thought and take a backseat. So you have to put all the... Hang on a second, Dimitri. Let me ask you a quick question. Sure. When you were playing the game... If a person put a worker out and got some resources, 
could they then use those resources immediately to build something? No. When a person played a card, if that card had another card that they could build, could they play it immediately? No. Okay, so then it's not really. Each turn is just, one each action. turn should be one one action. It was. It's not if you place a person on one card and that allows you to collect. Ooh, interesting. Maybe we were playing it wrong. But that brings me to a second point, which I think I will make now. Okay. I could not follow what Mike was doing because the print on the cards is very small. It is crazy small. That is absolutely true. And the shape of your city doesn't really, it's not like Agricola where you can see exactly how many sheep someone has and Mm -hmm, how full mm -hmm. their farm is. Your city is always going to look like a grid with cards that are some very beautiful artwork. Sure, sure. But you can't really know what the cards are actually doing and how the cards are relating to each other unless you pick one up and study it, which is very difficult to do to someone else's card in the middle of their turn. Totally fair. What do you think? How, did we play with the same amount of people in our in your game and in my game? We played with four. And I think we had three, right? You I did have was, three. That's it was correct. Three. You did have so three. So I say that as a preface because in my experience, that was not that was not the case. And maybe it's because some kind of way they're trying to like spoon feed it to me, but I don't think so. But I kind of knew every card that everybody had. And when someone played a thing, like I would be like, all right, look, I'm playing this thing. It does this. And then I kind of knew what he could do. So I had a different experience on that And to be fair to Mike, Mike did announce what he was doing, but there was no way for me to follow it and and double check. Uh, And again, this is about how your group plays yeah, the that game, makes sense. not sure. just the game itself. Uh, are you going to be chaining actions? Are you going to be optimizing and maximizing your returns? Um, and the game can expand. The game can get much more complicated. There are also cards that people have in their city that you are free to place your workers on. Mm-hmm. When you can't read those cards... Oh, but but they, you have a you have a you have a three D sign that is about four inches tall that says you can go there, right? Yeah, that's wh- another thing that needs to be tracked, and not everybody sure. was doing that. Uh, I will say that that um, with seven plays under my belt, and realize the reason I have seven plays under my belt is because I played it with family. I played it with, with mm. my brother's family. I played it with my family. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you you fairly quickly realize that the number of different cards in the deck is not really that high. There are eight, yeah. f- eight farms. There are sure. eight husbands. There are eight wives. There's, there's a lot of the, the common creatures. There's a lot of them. Even the unique creatures are only unique because you can only put one of those in your city. There are mm-hmm. still four or five or six of them in the deck. So the total number of cards and, and varieties are not as daunting as first appears because of the size of the deck. It is a very large deck of cards that you play with. That's for sure. But you were playing the game with family. Yes, sir. Uh, I was playing the game with cutthroat. I was literally going to say people that were out to destroy you. Sure. And this game, your play experience changes. Of course it does. Based on who you're playing it. Fair enough. I think you should play with me next time because we had so much fun. Oh, there was I, no throats cut. It was just yes. like, oh, there look were, at my there critters. There were no throats cut, you, you know. But that brings me to my final point. Who is this game for? This game is an encyclopedia of mechanisms. Pretty much everything 
that's been done in the Neuro game that doesn't involve trains is somewhere in this game. Chaining actions, getting resources, worker placement, exclusive worker placement, non-exclusive worker placement, cards talking to each other. So is this a game for very experienced players as a review? Let's or, hold let's hold off on sure. that because we'll get back to that. Jake, you have a very different perspective on this I game. Like Talk I to me. Well, Talk to for me. For me, I feel like this is maybe the best example for a gateway game for someone like me, for someone casual. Mm-hmm. Because I agree with what you were saying that it does have all that stuff that I've absorbed after all these years, but on a level that I could actually engage it to try and do what I was trying to do. And I know it wasn't as hard, and I know it's medium. We started by saying it was just below you know, medium difficulty, but it really gives you a chance to play a game like that and, and, and be in control of your, of your side of things. I loved it. I thought, I thought it was so easy that I could maybe even teach it to somebody else. Like, yeah. there's really very little to know. Uh, the rules explanation is really quick, and nobody doesn't understand that. And the it's, board is open and beautiful, and, like, yeah. just it's obvious with the art that if you need this, you go here, and if you need this, you go here. And But as you start playing, you realize, oh, this card is different, and this card is different, and this card sure. is different. And you have to... I don't think that's a bad thing, though, because what it really does is it takes the... The rules explanation part is a big barrier to a lot of people. It's a barrier to entry for these games. A rules explanation for a half an hour for a person that has never played a Euro game yeah, that's a turn it can kill them. It totally is a turn It can kill them. So if you can get them playing in 15 minutes, yeah. if you can get them going and have them really have a fairly solid sense of what the game yeah. is, and then at their own pace looking at their cards, seeing, finding their own, sort of discovering the game on their own in that first play yeah, is a pretty powerful thing. And I think it's the same mechanics. I mean, you're practicing it maybe at a slightly less complicated, you know, scenario. Yes. But it's, you're still learning that you've got these resources that you're trying to collect and you've got so many and that you're moving the game along the internal, like... That's not something normal games have. So tell me if you had this experience, because this is the experience that I have every time I play this game. You start off with two regular workers and a frog. Yep. You start off with five, six, or seven cards, Mm -hmm. or something along those lines, six, seven, or eight cards. I look at these cards. I say, well, this one's way too expensive. There's no way I can build this in the winter. I can't build this. I can't build this. I guess these are the two I can build. And, oh, one of these matches with something out there in the, the uh, one of the eight yep, cards that's sitting cards, in the meadow. Sure. So that's nice. I can, I can maybe do that. But then you quickly realize that's one-fourth of the game. That's the winter, the spring, yeah. the summer, and the fall. One quarter of my game I think is going to be over. I think I'm going to do three or four things, yep. and I'm going to have to move into the spring. That's it. Like, how on earth, this guy told me that you could have a maximum of 15 cards in your city. How are you ever going to have 15 cards in your city? And I felt that so palpably at at the beginning of the game. I'm like, I don't don't get how this thing is going to spread out at all. And before you know it, it really blossoms and, and, and expands. And by the end of the game, you're trying to figure out not how to get to 15, but oh my goodness, I only have three spaces left for, yeah. for cards. I want the big points. What am I going to do? How am I going to manage this? Which we've talked about before. We've talked about that uh, engine sense, that growing engine sense, and how, um, how palpable that is, especially for newer players, because they feel an increased mastery. 
Yeah. They feel that they've gone from being constricted and unable to do much to suddenly being able to do everything. And to some degree, that feels or that mimics the feeling of a person going from being a novice to a master. Well, sure. And also, it doesn't hurt that like you're building your resources across seasons. It's not like you're completely resetting. Exactly. The, t- the turns you take matter as you go. And the more turns you get per, it, it builds beautifully. I, I agree completely with that. But in actuality, what the gameplay actually is, you have six or seven cards in your hand. Yeah. You have eight cards in the meadow. Yeah, communal. Each of which have a lot of tiny text. Yep. Before you take any action, you have to read all the text on your cards. Absolutely. You have to read the text on every single card in the meadow. And yep. if you're sitting upside down to them, you're going to have to move or pick them up. Sure. Every yeah. person will have to do the same thing. And then the next turn, the very next turn, when people have cards in front of them, you're going to have to read all those cards as well before you make a decision if you're going to maximize your move. Dimitri, we we know you hate reading. We understand this. (laughs) No, it's a valid complaint, but I think it's situational. I love reading. I do not necessarily enjoy reading rules on cards that may or may not relate. And I figure- feel so funny that I'm the so opposite of you on this one. Just you because, are. You are. Like, normally, that, what you're describing is my main complaint of all the games we play, is that I know I'm just barely holding on to my what's in front of me. Forget what everybody else's boards are doing. And on this one, I literally was like, okay, I know what he's about and what he's looking for. And there was like a race for this critter because we both built the same home. Like, it was, I guess, I don't want to say dumbed down, but it was at a level where I kind of felt like i knew what was going on and and half of the cards in the game are you know the farm is yeah they don't one all berry. have bonuses it's it's get one berry that's exactly right right they're very low it's, for the most part most of the like half of the cards in the game are very simple the other half you have to do a little reading you have to figure out, oh this is what that one does um we whenever there's a new card in the meadow we read it out to everybody yeah so everybody right from the, the get-go knows the eight cards that are that are there i understand there's 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 tracking to be done there's there there's some work to, to be done in, and maybe in four versus three is like a tipping point well, where i don't want to keep don't, track of I four don't I, played, so. I played I don't pretty much so. exclusively four player yeah. and think, i didn't think of it this way by fall uh every player has 10 to 12 cards at least in front of them yeah there are eight cards in the me- meadow there are eight cards in every hand Right, that is a total of thirty-two. That's ninety cards that you have to keep track of. That's a lot. You don't have to keep I, track of ninety I, cards. Let's let's be honest. You you know what that person can do. You know what they uh, yeah, can't do. I couldn't have degrees. told you what was in somebody else's hands necessarily, but I felt like maybe naively that I had a pretty good understanding of what Alfred was up to and what Jesse was up to, and which critters they were waiting for with open houses and, and let's you say, know, certain things. I, so each time the game was played, I pulled the people involved and I got a sense, which may get to your fourth point, which is who is this game for? Jesse and Alfred liked the game quite a bit. They were like, wow, that was, they were surprised. They thought it was going to be light and fluffy and they were surprised that it had depth. They They're didn't, both they didn't, excellent players. Oh, yeah, yes. very. They, they weren't over the moon about it. They didn't think, oh, my goodness, because we're used to heavier fare. This is a this is a mid-weight game, and it it's slightly lighter than mid-weight in some ways. The explanation is quite lightweight. The play is 
surprisingly meaty for for how light the mechanisms of the game are. The, the it's play. deceptively it's, complex. I it mean, is, yeah. It seems like you only have a few options, but it really does. You have a lot of decisions to make what to do. Yeah. In your group, um, you were the one that was the most negative uh, on the game out of the out of the four of you. Um, uh, yeah. L- let me explain. Uh, the terraforming Mars mm-hmm. has a lot of cards. Yep. Uh, that you have to keep track of, both on your board and other people's boards. Mm-hmm. To me, those cards at least make sense in a way that these cards don't. Not in the same way. Huh. These cards are simple. They give you berries or uh, or, or materials or, or maybe a farm will invite a husband who will invite a wife. All those things, to me, seem arbitrary so maybe this comes back to your first point about it's about the theme, the theme. because for me I it don't focused under- me right in yeah yeah i because because i guess i like that that theme i like that fantasy forest full of critters so it wasn't hard yeah. to remember that he was waiting for a fox or whatever yeah, so and, it, it and for felt- me who's waiting for a fox and who's waiting for a hedgehog and who needs a piece of resin versus a pearl yeah. It felt, to me, it, it felt, doesn't stick in my mind. It just sure. evaporates. It felt very Despero to me. Yeah, you know, totally, it, it, totally. It, it, it was. It felt Brer Rabbit. It felt like it. it felt like it felt all of those. I'll tell you what. It, it's a property that like I would want that movie. I'd go see that the the, the farm mouse with the hood up on mm. our way home to the tree, and then like there's there I, there once was a meadow under an ever tree. Yeah, right. And and all the woodland creatures were building their own little cities it's off cool. of that. Cool. And that I meadow. wanted all those watership rabbits to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, a watership down uh, would be a great expansion for this. Just the, suddenly the fascists, the invade. bunnies. Yeah, sure. There's uh, a fascist implication in all of these furry critter stories. Uh, I mean, it's explicit in Animal Everdell. Farm not and an Watership Down. Sure, it's always there beneath the surface. It's survival of the fittest. It's the well. It's just that it's that it's that most of these are written by the Brits, and uh, you know the Brits have a storied history of these little pastoral tales that hide a deeper meaning. Right? That's that's kind of where it comes from. I'm very suspicious of them. <laughs> I'm suspicious of the British. You don't have to tell me. Given that this is a wonderful game with wonderful components and colorful art, wow. and you will know if it's for you. It is not for me. It wasn't for Dimitri. That's fine. That's fine. It wasn't for D, but that's I, okay. Look, I, I think what you said is nailed it, Jake. I think it is a great, yeah. great intro to... I would show this to my wife. How about right? that? That's I, I saying think, something. I think the theme might appeal to a large number of people and a large number of, of women and girls that might otherwise be turned off by a, a lot of a, a lot of other themes. Yeah. I think this is... It's, it's not only inoffensive, but it's charming. There's a charm. It's cute to the game. They did good. I, I and, liked it very much. And it's a it's a game that that at the end of it, you have learned how to do yeah most of what a Euro game yeah, is right. That's right. And if you had played another game after that, you'd be like, remember when you were trying could, to get the pebbles? It's like that. Could you move on to Agricola after four or five plays of this? Probably close. Yeah, maybe close. Yeah, it does most of the, most yeah. of the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Sorry, that, you didn't like it, T. Yeah. No, no, no. I play a lot of games uh, that I don't like. Uh, this is the first time I've reviewed a game that yeah. I don't like. I wouldn't play this after I play on Mars. I would not do that. But if you have, if there is a need for midweight games in your Pantheon, Everdell is gorgeous, stunning, yeah. and it is a game that you will be able to bring people in and play. I sometimes 
play games with non-gamers because I have to, and yeah. I'm always trying to find a game that can bring them into the hobby. Yeah. Almost always, that is not a game that I actually enjoy much, right? Sure. Almost always, it's a game that I know is good for them and yeah. I can tolerate it. I have to say, I enjoy Everdell. Yeah, it's fine. I actually enjoy it. So it, and the fact that it's a game that is deep enough for me to enjoy while at the same time a great gateway game, that's a real find. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was surprised how much I, how much I enjoyed this game. How much does it cost, Tom? It looks like it's available for about thirty-seven bucks oh, on. That's not so bad. The expansion. That's the that's the expansion. Oh, that's just the frog bit. That's the yes. frog. That's the frog oh. part. The pearls <laughs> and the frogs. Okay. The Everdell game looks like it is fifty-two bucks right that's now. That's not bad. Uh, if you look at the box. Uh, oh, and the bundle for both is ninety. If you, if you look at the box, it's glossy. It's beautiful. And if you like the art on the box, you will love the art in the game. I agree, 100%. So there you go. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Everdell. A little uh, little bit uh, lighter than a lot of the things that we cover, but quite interesting. Let's get to it. Let's get to our member-specific segment, our favorite and least favorite themes and settings. Let's start by saying, what do we mean when we say theme? Because it, it's different in a game, right? Theme and setting generally mean two different things in a, in a movie or a show or a, or a book. In games, they're kind of synonymous, yeah. right? They kind of both mean the same thing. It, it, and matter of fact, theme setting and genre, to some degree, are almost interchangeable when we're talking about, about games. I personally, as I said before, I don't let theme get in the way. That's, that's an interesting thing I discovered about me when I was, I was diving down this rabbit hole. I prefer the theme of the Resistance far, far above the theme of Avalon. Right? I like the semi-futuristic underground movement in a fascist you know, government much, much better than Knights of the Round Table. But because Avalon, I believe, is a superior social deduction game, I don't ever want to play The Resistance. So for me, the theme is not in no way, shape, or form getting in the way of what is really basically two almost identical games with only a slight difference. Tom, I'm amazed you managed to mention Avalon yet again. <laughs> I have no problem mentioning it And all I the love time. that game possibly more than you do. Whereas, Jake, you theme is very important, right? Uh, 100%, yeah. I, I, I would much prefer a game... It, would, it balances it more for me. The mechanics versus the theme. The theme is going to weigh in heavier for me than clearly it doesn't at all for you. But yeah, it matters. It matters for me. Because Not it, never for me. There are some instances where, where, where it matters. Dimitri, what about you? It's interesting for me. Um, I need the right theme and I need a marriage between the theme and the mechanisms. Okay. I need to feel that the mechanisms explore the theme and reflect uh, the reality of the world that is being depicted. Um, and for me, that is all important. Tell me a game whose theme sings for you. Terraforming Mars. Okay. Uh, and and uh, I, I grew up a science fiction reader mm -hmm. uh, and not a fantasy reader. Mm -hmm. uh, I came to fantasy later, uh, and I've never fully adopted or adjusted to it, uh, in part because... Uh, I started reading uh, American science fiction in translation. Mm -hmm. uh, so science fiction, because it deals with 
real world, real theories, real investigation is very translatable. It doesn't really depend on nuances of language. Sure. It, it, it is about rules and it is about things that happen. Uh, another thing about science fiction, unlike fantasy, um, is that it there are a lot of science fiction short stories that really matter and really change the field. Whereas fantasy is really driven by much longer works. There's science fiction writers True. like Harlan Ellison who almost exclusively only wrote short stories that have changed the genre. Uh, the Time Machine is a novella. Uh, uh, War of the Worlds is a novella. They're very short. Uh, and there's a compression. There is a reliance on logic and rules. Uh, and I think that lends itself to game playing. So terraforming Mars feels like an outer space adventure that relies on logic and rules. And your gameplay relies on logic and rules. So I'm primed to accept that and I'm primed to play that. For me, the real divide that really taught me this is Gaia Project, which I really like, mm -hmm. uh, and Terra Mystica. Almost the same game. Terra Mystica is completely opaque to me. I still don't know what the Hobbit-like race is supposed to be doing with shovels, but terraforming worlds... Okay, uh, I makes mean, perfect sense to me. Guy Project is a better game because it's improved. It's better rules. It's it's better put together. But the theme for me doesn't enter quite as much into that. But then again, uh, like I, I said, I, I tend to be more immune to that. With Terra Mystica, it's just impenetrable. Jake, what about you? What's a, what's a game whose theme just really, really sings for you? I'm not a dictionary in my mind of sure 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 games, no of course of course but i can tell you that the games i enjoy are usually either some kind of science fiction mm -hmm. some kind of fantasy because for me those two are like neck and neck i i didn't come they came I, they came to me equally and they they're on the scale for me as being like separate worlds that i love um not the most realism stuff that doesn't do it for me like trying to like the train stuff yeah that that theme doesn't do anything for me do you know what I mean? Or yeah, even, yeah. And, and I can even enjoy a game if the theme doesn't do it for me, but that's like the opposite end of my spectrum. I, I, like, I like a hero, so it's <laughs> going to be some kind of fantasy or science fiction, or even if it's some kind of military thing, I don't mind that either. Interesting. You know, like if it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. if it's knights in shining armor or soldiers, or like I can kind of get behind that a little bit, the red coats, or that, I don't mind that stuff if it's realism. Very weird, but, because generally... I'm more in your camp than in Dimitri's camp, but in this case, I'm almost entirely in, in Dimitri's camp in a weird way. I grew up reading science fiction and relatively little fantasy. Yeah. Um, when I started playing role-playing games, I played Traveler, which was the first science fiction game. I, I didn't play Dungeons & Dragons. And what Dimitri said, I kind of agree with to some degree. But when it comes to games... I don't really think that the science fiction games are that much better for the most part than the fantasy because a lot of them are equally ungrounded. Well, aren't they mostly skins? I mean, I understand your goal of wanting them to match, but like in general, you could kind of swap any skin of any game and it's still going to be what it's going to be. Like, it's uh, yes, not uh, but it... It's not about the game. It's about how I interpret it, how I absorb it, how I play it. Uh, because of how I grew up, 
I can remember oxygen and titanium. I can't remember pearls and berries. Okay. In, in Russia, we didn't have pearls and berries. We, we, yeah, we yeah. had, <laughs> you know, we didn't even have pebbles. In Soviet Russia, berry squeezes you. <laughs> I just mean that, like, the, the desire to have the mechanics somehow illustrated or, like, highlighted by the fact that it's bunnies or that it's spaceships or things, I think that might be an illusion because really... You could make any of these games with any of the themes. You could swap them free. You could do a card in the hat and pull it out, and it's still going to play. It doesn't... Re I mean, yeah. you're just matching cards. It's true. You know what I mean? You could practically do it with a deck of cards. I'm going to name four genres, and I want you to tell me which genre is the most heavily represented in the top okay. 200 games on like BGG. That. Okay? Fantasy, sci-fi, historical, horror. Which of the four is the most heavily represented in the top 200 games? Jake, what's your guess? I'm guessing historical. Dimitri, what is your guess? I agree with Jake. I think it's historical. It is historical. Hey. It is historical. Um, horror is, is pretty low. Horror is sub 30. Um, fantasy is 35. Sci-fi is 28. And historical is 61. Agricola is an historical game. Oh, sure. It, it, of sorts. Know. I don't I don't think I counted it in any category because it's not specifically historical particularly. It's medieval. It, it is. I mean, it, it, says no in the rule, it says in the rules what, what era it's from regarding yeah. that. Agricola? No, I'm saying there's no dragon. Oh, there's no right? dragon. It's like, it's, yeah. it's, so it's, it's not fancy. Well, let's take yeah. this. Yeah. Okay, here's a point I have I want to make. I hate laser sharking. Laser sharking is is something that bugs the heck out of me. So, Jake, you're for looking our, at me like, what the heck is me, laser sharking? Yeah. All right. So, it refers to Austin Powers, right? Sure. I want sharks with freaking lasers on their sure. heads, right? And it came to represent in role-playing game design and, and writing and, and such. It came to represent when you have a perfectly good genre and threat and cool thing. Yep. And you think it's going to make it so much cooler by putting a completely different oh, cool thing uh -huh. on top of the already Swapping cool out thing. for a laser sword. Yeah, right. Exactly. And it makes it horrible. Yeah. The number one example of laser sharking is dragons in Game of Thrones. George R.R. R. Martin was not going to have dragons in um, Game of Thrones until uh, one of his relatives said, it's a fantasy, you have to have dragons. It, and he it, put it dragons was, it in It was there. a much more historical uh, uh, drama before that. I kind of agree with that. So let's talk about laser sharking in games. Scythe. The, the casual you know what, gamer puts his hands up like, you don't know what that is? one? Yeah, Maybe yeah, I do, but by the name, uh, I don't know. It was remember. the, it was the, it's the one where you're, you're battling in the steps of Poland, but you have mechs and it's like partisans nope, and they're, that. oh, that's that a lovely great, game. Though. That's a you lovely know what? I game. Think Matt loves not. that game. I, I might have to I go think out it's on terrific. a limb and say, I kind of like laser sharking. You might like it. By I the think way, I do. You say that you, that, that, oh, if it's just a, if it's just trains, I'm not interested. I gotta have, I gotta have wizards and I gotta have, what? If they you might did be. like a Snowpiercer train game, I might be in. Caverna. Caverna is Agricola, right? A wonderful farming game telling you what it was like to farm back okay. before synthetic fertilizer and all that sort of stuff. With quests. And now all of a sudden you've got dwarves and quests. But are you still farming? Yes. Yes, it's still part yeah, of the see, game. I 
it's hard for me to get excited about farming. It just is. I will tell you a little bit. Tricarian. Tricarian is the one where we're 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 um, oh, magicians. Oh, yeah, street, magicians. Stage magicians. You are mostly stage magicians, and there's yeah. nothing magical about it except they have these tri- Tricarian shards. They have these crystals, and there's something mystical yeah. about that that they introduce into the game. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's so much better if you just treat it as magicians as opposed to their magic being. But real. Tom, you are delighted by the time travel mechanism in Boss. I am. I love it because they don't take it seriously, which is very important to me for theme. I realized that when I looked at what are my favorite thematic games, I noticed two things. One is they were all completely different than any other game. So for me, maybe because I played so, played so many games, I don't like themes that have been been there, done that. And that includes a lot of science fiction. That it's includes almost all repeat. of fantasy right? It all feels like retreads. So the games that are my favorite themed games have just are very, very unique and like, wow, I didn't even know that you could make a game about that subject. Uh-huh. And and that's really cool. For I want to jump the in thing is, and say here that like you, I feel my third favorite theme is no theme at all. Like Avalon, like Tichu. They have slight themes. Avalon totally, Tichu doesn't have a theme, but Avalon totally has a theme. We never LARP it. We ignore it we don't are you supposed to well first of all a a uh, listener pointed out that when we say larp it we really really mean role play yeah you are absolutely correct sir we enjoy the word larp it's much more fun to say the word larp we may continue to say the word larp even though what dimitri is actually talking about is role play oh my god word police yeah no it's true it's a fact you have never adopted an english accent i have uh, in avalon i have it's been a while he does it, it all the time, been, even when we're not playing Avalon. It'll just look, happen. Well, I'm look, LARPing myself continuously. People don't, <laughs> people don't trust me anyway. The moment I put on a British accent, they trust me far, far less. And they should, because the British are untrustworthy people who still wow. maintain 25% control of the island of Ireland. But I, I like games like Time's Up. I like games uh, like uh, Wavelength, where there's no thing. Yes, agreed. agreed. Uh, and I'd rather have no theme than Furtick Critters. I don't think I could play a game with no theme. Can, can I mention can I mention though before we before we move on? This is both this is my the worst game that has the, the game that has the worst case of laser sharking of any game I, I know. Of course. But also a perfect example of why theme doesn't matter much to me. Barrage. My number one game from last year. The game I am most Mine excited too. about. Is that the water? Yes. That's the water, I yes. Love that game. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but it's got the little mechs. You've got mechs and you've got yeah, it's like fine. why do you why did you throw steampunk mechs into a game that has Tom, we know has why. No, no reason. We know why. I don't know why. Because those are really prison labor. No. Those are all Italian and German fascists. I believe it's Alps. because they were afraid Alps. that they, they were afraid that a game about building dams and running water through them wasn't cool enough. And so they had to add mechs and and, and like a guy with a metal that cool. It's a guy with a little, metal arm. They're hard to pick up. It's ridiculous. So Laser sharking, greatest game of the year. Totally buy it. Bugs the heck out of me every time. Oh, I, every time I look at those things, and yet did not stop me from having it be my game of the year because theme to me is is not something that's tremendously important. Let's talk about some games that the theme is already baked in. It's almost cheating, okay. right? Dune, cheating. 
It's cheating. Well, uh, they're just, they're starting with the property, right? I mean, yes. they're starting with the property, so that instructs the game. It's not like they said, hmm, what's the perfect thing for, oh, I know, it's just like Dune. Do you know what I mean? That, yes, yes. That, so it almost... By the way, they tried to, that. They tried that? Yes. Remember that redo of Dune we played a few times where they repurposed some of the mechanics? But oh, made Rex. Up yes. Yes, oh, yes, What yes. was it called again? Rex. Rex. It's where they, they, they took, put it into the Twilight Imperium world. It totally didn't work. We we played it. It's the same mechanic. We weren't interested. Yeah. yeah. Some have built-in audiences. Of course they do. Look, War of the Ring and Dune are perfect games for for theme because they take properties that are so rich and so full and amazing and they create a game that is absolutely perfectly balanced and fits within that. You feel like you are battling for the control of Arrakis. Yeah. You feel like you are in yeah. the fellowship of the ring and you're trying to get it to Mordor against impossible odds. I think that is, you know, when we talk about thematic games, which is an entire category on BGG. Sure. Thematic games. Those thematic games are are just wonders to behold because of how perfect they are in that sense. And like the one that Maddie just did the solo review on, the Marvel one. Yeah. That's, I want to play that just purely because of the theme. Yeah. I don't even know what the mechanics are. I mean, I do now that I heard the episode, but like, I, it wouldn't have mattered. It's I, wonderful. I want to be Captain America. I want to. So here's where, by the way. Could be totally slapped on, right? Could be a game Could that, be. that theme doesn't have anything to do with. Could be. It is not because the fact that you play that your character card is two sided, and sometimes you're your alter ego. Yeah. No, and sometimes clever. you're it's your. Totally it's very clever. It's, it's very nice well when done. it matches up. It it's, really is, and that's what's very important to me. It is when the mechanism reflects the theme, but that's in rare. a way that is inextricable. Agreed. Agreed. Dimitri, what are your some what are some of your favorite themed games? Uh, well, again, terraforming Mars. Sure, yes. <laughs> let's go let's go one to one. Kremlin. Kremlin, by the way, is an old Avalon Hill game from the nineteen eighties, which you are we are fighting for control of the Politburo during the Soviet era, back when Everybody, you know, all of those premieres in a row just were suddenly old and suddenly sick and then okay. they suddenly died and then the next guy comes in. It simulates that. It is tremendously funny, really, really darkly comedic and really captures the tone. Go ahead. Eclipse. Uh, Eclipse is the only war game that I enjoy because it takes place in space, because it's spaceships, uh, because it has hexes that we turn over and uncover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and because the mechanisms of the game make sense to me in terms of science fiction, building spaceships, discovering technologies before we kick each other's butts. Uh, Greed Incorporated, which is a splatter game that very few people have played. The wonderful thing about this one is in most economic games, you're building up a company, you're trading, you're playing the stock market, and then whoever ends up with the best company at the end wins. This is a wonderfully darkly cynical game in which what you're actually doing is you are building your company up and then you're and then you're pulling resources out of it and you're crashing your own company, grabbing a golden parachute oh, that's out and 
bidding for these luxuries like the private jet and the, sure. the, the and the island and the executive assistant and the wardrobe and the, this and that and the other thing. And the only points that are worth anything at the end of the game are those points, are right. what you've cashed out, what you've taken taken with you, which is, that's a that's theme to me, right? It's just an economic game. It's just an economic game, but the theme sings because they they are, they've written the game and they built the game with a point of view. That to me is important. Greed is an example of my second favorite theme for games, which are market games. Uh, Gallerist, for me, is an example of a market game where you're actually running a business and dealing with buying, selling, valuing, marketing. Sheriff of Nottingham is a market game. Uh, Estates is a market game in that sense. And I will say that, for me, the last two games I want to talk about are one is Junta, which is another old old game, a West End games game, which is you are fighting for control of a banana republic. And Democker, my favorite game of all time. Running a political campaign as a game, competing against four other candidates, is a fantastic theme. I don't know why it's not done more. My dad would love it. He was head of a mock UN for years when he was a professor. Yeah, it sounds it's, right up his alley. It's very much like that. Yeah. You've got to play this game, actually. It's it's I'd love to it's, try it's, it. it's 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 tough and it's deep, but the theme carries you through it because mm-hmm. when you you understand why everything is happening, because you understand the story that's being told, you understand. Oh, I'm putting out campaign workers who are going to try and get us some more votes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm trying to change the people's minds in this state so that this issue that's hurting me isn't the most important issue anymore. That sure. this is important. Oh, I'm going to buy media coverage so that we can get our get, get our things up it's it's a wonderful wonderful theme i mean i'm really attracted to those kinds of themes like a game about the german parliamentary election system uh, high frontier which is a science fiction game that's not really science fiction because it's just it's literally about forecasting what we're going to be able to do in the next you know 30 to 40 years in terms of exploring our own solar system space alert of uh, lateral chavada game which is so much fun it's a really it's a blast of a thing. Do you remember that one, Dimitri? That's the one where we're all working together and everybody, you're, you're programming your cards. Like, okay, I'm going to go down the yes, stairs. Yes, I do remember that game. Yes. Just real quick, as an aside, do your preferences go into all media? Like when you're reading or film or it's uh, also th- for you? That's a very good question. And no, uh, actually right now I read fantasy and science fiction with equal pleasure. And I feel I have to because there's a lot of fantasy science fiction hybrid movies. Uh, I think fantasy movies right now are better than science fiction. But in games, I revert to childhood in oh, certain respects, uh, because I'm at play. Uh, I, I'm in a vulnerable state. Also, I really never see fantasy as rule-based. That's interesting. Uh, I see science fiction as rule-based. Uh, I see science fiction as about being natural laws and breaking natural laws, laws of physics, laws of chemistry, laws of genetics, uh, seeing what happens when you push boundaries Fantasy is never to me about that. Fantasy is about relations between people that are disrupted by magic. It sounds to me like, if I was to sum up our three positions on this, it seems to me like, Dimitri, for you, game theming is what helps you grok it. 
is what helps you understand what it is that you're doing in the game. And it seems to be sort of a, a key component to get your buy-in because through theme, rules make better sense. And Jake, it seems for you that your buy-in, your attraction to the game in the first place comes heavily from a place of theme. Like, like yeah, whether I or not I... Not how much I the way. Right. But to the other side, like, you couldn't just put something on a Monopoly board and say it's like Marvel Monopoly because it's, it's not really Monopoly. a game. Yeah, exactly. But yes, that's correct. I'm I'm drawn in or repelled very much by theme, for sure. And for me, uh, theme is a secondary or tertiary consideration. That the game itself is is far more important than the theme. But theme can do things for me. And the more unique the theme, the more different the theme. Uh, for me, the the more underrepresented. The theme is the more likely I'm, uh, I'm, I'm likely to so find it just, very interesting. Just its newness is a value. Yes. Well, I think that uh, like Container, for instance, Container is a game in which you are you are loading shipping containers mm-hmm. onto freighters, sending them out, getting new ones in, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I love that theme. I think the game is good, but not not amazing. But I love the theme. Yeah. And I'm like, why do I love that theme? And I said, because it's a hidden world. Yeah, because I've I've I don't I know nothing about the shipping sure. industry, and I'm not pretending that the game teaches me all the ins and outs of it. But it gives but it me gives a feeling world. a little yeah. bit a little bit of it, right? Well, Kanban I've never, is a fascinating example. Kanban of that. is is my is my actual favorite themed uh, Vitala Serta game. Remind uh, me another's which one that, is that? You, uh, that's, you make that's cars. The one where you're making the cars on the factory floor. I you're don't actually think you play making that one. prototypes of cars, and you're following. The rules of Kanban or the principles of Kanban. For me, like if you were building James Bond car and had to put missiles in it and had to put the oil slick and stuff. Laser shark. That game, I would yeah. be into though. I'm just saying. You and I are game. diametrically opposed as far as theme goes. <laughs> it's like it's like everything that it you want are things me. that yeah. I, I do like spy theme. But let's move on because we're running out of time All here. Right. And I do we did not we have not done game sommeliers in a while. And guess what? They've backed up on us. Nice. We we got a few things to do. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay. Which game should go? Which to play with mama, madame, abou? You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of a Gricola. A million games. Show me the way to the master. The game sommelier. We have some things to say from the game sommelier. <laughs> uh, Thomas Kuhn. Thomas Kuhn writes us. Uh, he says... Uh, this is actually something that he brought up on Discord. He sent us this email a while ago, and we just haven't been able to get to it, but this is something that is absolutely fascinating. Um, K-U-H-N, he lives in Germany. I need some suggestions from the game Somalier. Next July, I will be on an event called Mamatmash. I guess I don't need to translate that. It uh, should be quite the same word in English. I think it means death march. (laughs) Basically, right? With a friend of mine, we will have to hike 100 kilometers in 24 hours. Is there any game that can be played while walking slash hiking? There will be enough time, but we will lack a a table, of course. Twilight Imperium will be out. How about I Spy? (laughs) Thanks a lot. Greetings from Germany, Thomas. So first, let's break this down. 100 kilometers. 62 miles. Is 60 two miles in 24 hours. 
do you could you do that you could do that do you realize no oh, oh could i personally you mean no could one do it yes one could do it i couldn't do it right i don't think so that's two and a third marathons sure. but you're walking. in the same day but you're walking if in you 24 walk hours if you walk three miles an hour you'll be able to do, do 72 miles in 24 hours if you don't sleep uh Non-stop. You can do sixty-two. You can do sixty-two with a three-hour nap. It's very, 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 very tough. And drugs, but it's doable. Just take drugs, people. No, that's not what I mean. But that would and be I'm, very hard for me. to Looking stay up it up, long. this, by the way, is in the Lake District in in Munich. It looks stunning. It looks amazing. I've read accounts of people that have tried it and failed. I have not read any accounts of people that have tried it and succeeded, but evidently people succeeded all the time because everyone is going and doing it together. It's just a big group of people that are just okay. hiking around this gorgeous, gorgeous area and doing this. The idea that you want to play a game. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Maybe just look around you. Uh, no, no, no. I love that you want to play the game. Like you're, oh, you're going to walk for 24 hours. Eventually you're going to get bored and all that sort of stuff. But for me, I would be like, yes, I'd like to play a game. It's called Oxygen Tent. That's the game I would like to play. Yeah. Uh, it, it is crazy. Thomas, you are a madman in a way that that we cannot comprehend. Uh, Jake and I were just, before we got on air, we're, we're complaining about our progress or lack thereof in our weight loss challenge. Maybe we need to do the Mammoth Marsh. Maybe that's what we need to do. I will say that there are a couple games that come to mind. There is a game called Pico 2. It came out, I think, in 97, 99, somewhere back then. It is a card game that's quite interesting. It has only 11 cards. That's How are they going to play it? The whole... Be, you what, just hold them. One as person has the eleven cards in their in in their pocket, right? I mean. They deal out. One person gets five. The other person gets five, and each person shows one card at a time to each other, and somebody wins that card. And then they show the next one, and so on and so forth. It is a very simple but ve- but surprisingly strategic game with with just that just those few cards. It's got a lot of depth to it for a very, very, for a very, very small set of components that you need. Okay, that's a great idea. But I will say that if I was sitting on a park bench and I saw two people walking by me and they were playing a card game as they walked by me, I'd think those people are crazy. Well, you're not in you're not in Germany though. Um, Fair. I'm assuming in Germany, Fair. you know, they all have you know laminated Catan boards that they walk Maybe. around with as they do their hiking. Maybe. Right? No. Uh, and, and the other thing is, is that it could be possible to play a roll and write game while you're walking. Welcome to, for instance, which doesn't actually use any dice; it just uses cards. Right. If you just had a way of, I mean, the best way to do it would almost to just have a little flip board and you'd be able to f- flip through those cards. Each person, as they're walking, you have your own pad and your own pencil, and you could circle or cross out or do all the things that you would do in that. Something like that might work, but Pico 2 was the game that I came up with that uh, that you could for sure play. How about Mad Libs? Play. Those are it's great. It's not a game. Come on, Jake. <laughs> it's not a game. It'd be fun, though. I Spy, not a game. <laughs> not for adults. Not not something. It's a, it, Thomas, it's a, it's a very, very tough, very intriguing question. I hope that on our Discord channel, which you have also asked the question to, you get some really good responses. But definitely check out Pico, Maybe too. Time's Up you can play? Um, well, with only two people, I, I guess... Well, but yeah. they'll- other people everybody is walking around in a pack right if they can recruit others if they have a, if they have other people or even just the two as and go for your go for your best score get the sure. get the most things the only problem with that is that timer 
well, no, the timer isn't a problem because you can use your watch or whatever. But uh, no, the actual problem is the number of cards you would go through in a game of that if you're doing it for any consecutive amount, of, uh, significant amount of time. That's actually quite a number of cards. If you can sorry, have that, that game, I got really a real. Is he really asking what game can I play while I'm going for a walk? I have no doubt that because he's that's, absolutely. I, that almost feels like a troll. No, saying, like, hey, you guys, I'm a trapeze artist, and I was just wondering what I can play when I'm up on the wire. I I 100 believe this is true because right. he posted it twice. All right. Well, enjoy your walk and enjoy those suggestions. God bless, Thomas. Yeah. We wish you the absolute best. Thank you for the structure of scientific revolutions. Look out for those blisters. And and uh, and and Thomas, please um, report back after July if you have survived. Let us know how it went and let us know how that went. Uh, that sounds fascinating. Uh, next question is from Robert Lindsay. Um, he wrote. He was wrote, asked a question first that was about how to start a person down the train gaming road. Uh, but we actually talked about that on a previous episode. So then his second question was, what happened to the prisoner's Star Trek RPG request? Oh. If you remember, we had a time back then when uh, I found out that this office that we are recording in right now, this office where I work every day and where we play almost every game that we, that we play, used to be... Uh, Last Unicorn Games. This used Home to be a major uh, role-playing game center where they made uh, the Star Trek role-playing game and so many other things. Um, I will say that to, I brought it to the group. We discussed it in uh, in some detail as to what we should do about that. And at the end of the day, we could not determine why this prisoner was in prison and realizing that we don't know anything about him or what the situation is or what's going on, we felt it best to to not intervene in not in, to in, poke in, the bear, not to intervene in any way. We just, you know, uh, there's a part of me that 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 wishes we did, that wishes we had, but at the end of the day, it's it's a little. It's a it's a little bizarre, and yeah, I don't know anything about about this person. So we kind of we kind of bailed on that. If you guys feel strongly, tell us on Facebook. Tell us tell us that we should we should do that or something along those lines. Tell us on our Discord channel, and maybe we'll reconsider. Uh, next one. Any recommendations? This is from Sinan ninety. Uh, this is a Discord comment. Any recommendations for any games with stock share market manipulation that works good for two players? doesn't have to be the main part of the game. For instance, the goods market with fluctuating prices and clans of Caledonia is something I really enjoyed, um, but we need something that works with two. Um, I think for me, I have two suggestions. One is an old school suggestion, which is Acquire. Acquire was a Sid Saxon game that was, you know, back in the Avalon Hill days, that was a very popular game. It's a really decent game and it plays very well with two players. The modern version of this would be the Alexander Pfister game, Mombasa. Mombasa is uh, African colonialism, uh, but you are buying shares in various companies. And I've never played it with two, but my understanding is is that it plays quite good with two. Guys, I think that's all that we have time for. Does that sound good? Yeah. Jake, Dimitri. Crushed it. Love having Another you Another great episode. I love, love having you guys here. And uh, thank you for the very different perspectives on, on Everdell. I really, yeah. I really, really appreciated that. I think they're both... The weird thing is, is that the non-gamer was like, ah, I don't know about this game, uh, which was really kind of interesting. It's like you almost had the hardcore gamer response That's what I was to thinking. the game, yeah. In some ways, which was was kind of kind of neat, kind of fascinating. Actually, I thought that was uh, that was really quite 
unique. Uh, we have a YouTube channel, everybody. YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod. We also have a Facebook group. You can find us there. A Discord channel. Both of those are very, very active right now. And uh, please get in more of those uh, sommelier, those board game sommelier questions. I've had people that have asked me in person game sommelier questions, and I'm always like, why don't you just submit them? Submit them. Let us do it on the let's let us do it on the podcast. I mean, these are good questions. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You know him as Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. And you can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening. And go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games.